Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by me and people that have asked questions via Twitter and Instagram and all the fun uh, social channels. This is a mailbag episode. So remember, if you like the show, please rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, all the streaming channels. You know where to find me at Mike McKenna 56. Of course, this show wouldn't be possible without Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA's in full swing. College basketball's heating up. Schools are making their way to the madness. Tournaments coming. Get those brackets ready. So is the $100,000 bracket madness contest at Bet Online. Bet Online is the spot for all your bracketology needs. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, let's get to the show. Got some questions from everywhere relating from hockey to barbecue and all kinds of fun stuff, really. And um, first thing I got across on Instagram was just super nice. Uh, Somebody commenting, cruise images. Just want to thank you for your insight on the VGK broadcast. It's refreshing and spot on. Well, Thank you. And I got to tell you right off the bat that that's, that means a lot because it's a new territory for me, right? Coming out of hockey, I didn't have experience doing broadcasting. And I thought, man, I got to do my best. So I've tried. I hope people are appreciating it. And, you know, just keep trying to get better. Like anything else in life, it's, it's a process. But if you talk to enough people and you get the right feedback, usually it kind of gets things into the right direction. I've got a question here that's really interesting. And it relates to youth hockey and what can go on. Now, I've got a, I've got a daughter in youth hockey. She's seven, going to be eight. And so this kind of hits home. And the question is, what's your advice to a kid on a team who has been bullied by a teammate? Well, my advice is tell somebody something. Say something. Tell the coach. Tell the organization. Tell people. Because this is the type of thing that has to get out of the game. There's protocols in place in USA Hockey. And this is assuming you're in America, but I'm sure Canada has the same protocols for these things. If something happens, say something. The kid that's bullying should be reprimanded. The coach, If the coach is letting it happen, he should be gone. She should be gone. He or she. It's ridiculous. Now, I understand why kids can be afraid to say anything and why even as a parent you might. But this is the change in culture that we need. We've got to be able to speak up because if that kid keeps doing it, it's just going to ruin the aspect for anybody. So please say something. Don't be afraid of retribution or repercussions. Have the confidence to do it. It's going to help your child in the long run. It's going to help everybody in the long run, and it's going to hold people accountable. We don't need coaches that allow it. We don't need players that are doing it. Hopefully the bully child would learn his lesson or her lesson this first time, and it wouldn't happen again. Next question I've got. 
Biggest advice for someone trying to be a better goaltender from Wildest Dreams 3. I think it all revolves around skating. I can't think of anything more important for a goaltender. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be able to skate to the blue line faster than any of your teammates. That's not the case. You got to be able to start and stop and do it precisely in your crease. You've got to move with authority and you've got to beat passes. And I think one way you can do that is just by watching NHL games. Watch the skating of the goaltender. Don't just watch how he stops the puck. Watch how his feet move. Watch how early he arrives. Watch the post work. Notice that goalies use their posts as bumpers and they use them as home base. There's a lot of method to it. So I think watching hockey, working on your skating, those are two things that you can really improve. And and you need some help on the goalie skating aspect. If you just go to your main coach and say, hey, I want to be a better skater, he's probably going to have you do crossovers around the circle, something totally mindless that does nothing for you. So if nothing else, if you don't have access to a coach, just find some skating patterns on YouTube and remember to start and stop as hard as you can. It's so important to make sure you're a good skater. It's going to lead to everything downhill. If you can move quickly on your feet, you're going to beat the play and you're going to stop more pucks. I've got another question. Let's go in some VGK territory. Talk Vegas Golden Knights. Love this one. My favorite VGK jersey from Peter J.C. Davis. I am so partial to the reverse retro. They look sick. That's the first thing. It's most important. But they're different. There's nobody else with that colorway. Red, gold, black, a little bit of silver mixed in. Like They just look so cool. And for me, it's like super personal and special because it relates back to the Las Vegas Wranglers, who I played for for two years at the beginning of my career. 2005 to 7, that was a really special time in my life. And the Vegas Golden Knights reverse retro takes the red from the Wranglers, that's the main color, and then it takes the diagonal striping from the Las Vegas Thunder that, of course, represented the V. And I just think it's the perfect mashup. It looks so good on the ice, and it represents things. It has deeper meaning to it. And, of course, I'm a softy. I'm an emotional person. And it's because I care. It's because I... I don't know. It's just how I am. You know, I'll, I'll cry at Frozen 2. Wait, I didn't mean to give that away. So just erase that from your memory bank that I cried at Frozen 2. No, oh, please. We're going to act like I didn't cry at Frozen 2. Maybe I did. But anyway, the reverse retro is just sick. Uh, out of their traditional jerseys, like the first ones they wore, I, white jerseys are just so clean looking. I think I'm usually partial to those, uh, especially with the Golden Knights ones. The white ones just look they just jump, you know, like it's that unique colorway again. Uh, questions here. Something that I guess I should have expected this because anybody that follows me knows that I like cooking. I love to barbecue. And I share my secrets online a couple times, you know. And really, I don't have secrets. There's no secrets to it. Everything's available out there. And the question from Strikeout5335 is brisket method. Wrap or no wrap? Wrap at the stall or just let it ride? Pellet or PK? So there's a couple questions here, and this is probably going to let me get into a deep dive on barbecue. So if you don't like barbecue, I'd say fast forward this thing another like five, 10 minutes, but you might learn something here. So the first thing that's really jumps out to me about this question is pellet or PK? PK stands for a PK grill. That's a charcoal grill. It's made out of aluminum. You can't destroy these things. If you get one in your family, they're going to last you 30 years, maybe more, maybe 50. There's people cooking on PKs from the 1950s. They're sick. Like, I love my PK. I bought it as a retirement gift to myself when I finished playing. 
And now I've got all the accessories. I've customized it. I've built a tray on it out of hockey sticks, just all kinds of shit. And it's awesome, man. It, the, the PK holds heat better than any charcoal grill I've ever experienced. The, the aluminum does a really nice job with it. And so if you cook indirect on it, which means you've got your fire on one side and you put your meat on the other side, it will hold heat for a solid like four to six hours before you even have to worry about chucking in a little more charcoal. And we're not talking a lot. Like we're talking half a chimney of charcoal to start with, maybe some unlit charcoal underneath that. You put it off to the side in the PK and it'll hold about between 225 and 275 for that long. So it's a great way to barbecue because you're, you're really your optimal barbecue temperatures. You know, you talk to people in competition and now there's people doing them up to like 350 degrees just for speed. But really, I think if you're doing barbecue at home, the wheelhouse to me is like 250 to 275. I think 225 takes a while and you're going to get the same results at 250 or above anyway for degrees. So I'll run the PK 250, 275 pellet grills. Listen, I'm, I've, messed around with a Traeger before. I've made things on it. I think Traegers are great because they're super easy. You put it on, you forget about it. And it makes a pretty good product. I just don't think it's the best product. I have a hard time developing bark on the pellet grill, like on the PK. And I don't know why this is. It probably has to do with airflow. I don't know. I'm spitballing here, but on the pellet grill, I just can't get the bark. It's hard to do it. And whereas on the PK, I get bark in the first like couple hours and I've got to wrap right away. And that's one of the questions here is wrap or no wrap if you're talking about brisket. Well, again, I think it really depends on what you're working with. And I do think that wrapping in general on a brisket's a good idea. Keep some moisture in, put a little beef consommé or beef broth in when you wrap. I'm a fan of wrapping in butcher paper like Oklahoma Joe style butcher paper, not aluminum foil for brisket or for pork butts. So the, the butcher paper lets it breathe a little bit. You don't lose the bark. It doesn't get soggy. So the next part of this question being wrap at the stall. Yes, I think for brisket you do. I think you wrap at the stall, butcher paper, put a little bit of beef broth in there. And I think it's just really important to make sure it's a moist environment. So like if you're on the PK, you need to have a water pan underneath the brisket so that it keeps everything nice and the, the moisture in the chamber itself keeps the meat moist. And uh, I think that's pretty critical for it. And I pretty much just go salt, pepper, garlic, sometimes just salt and pepper. And that's all I need on a brisket. I like, uh, I like using lump charcoal. Rockwood charcoal is my favorite, but I've also had good results with B&B before. I know some people really like Jealous Devil, but Rockwood is my thing. Uh, and when it comes to beef, I, I love using post oak. And I think that comes from the time I spent in Texas. I've been to Franklin Barbecue. I've been to La Barbecue. I, I've been to all of those down there, Curlin. And I'm telling you, the post oak is just delicious with beef. And I like to mix it with a little bit of pecan. I got lucky. Earlier this year, I visited my cousin. He's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he gifted me a log, a log of pecan wood. Now, I know this might seem a little strange to folks, but to me, totally normal. He gave me a piece of wood. And guess what? I've gotten about 50-something chunks out of that baby. And if you combine post oak and pecan, you've got delicious smoke for beef. I love that. So that's my technique on it. Uh, I've got another question about barbecue, regional barbecue style. Which is my favorite and why? Recommendations for great barbecue in cities you love. Well, you know, I already mentioned Franklin Barbecue in Austin, La Barbecue, Curlin, all three of those 
are so good. There's so many good barbecue places in Texas around Austin. I never made it out to Lockhart. Um, I never got to Black's, uh, a couple others. But it's hard to go wrong down there. They do it really well. If you get a chance to go to Franklin Barbecue, I went with my daughter and we brought a wagon and board games and her iPad and we had so much fun. We waited for probably two and a half hours. We met people from Tennessee and Australia. Just It's a convivial atmosphere where everybody's just hanging out, waiting for barbecue, having a good time. Aaron Franklin comes out and says hi and it's just a blast. So I, I love Franklin. I think if you're in New York State, going to Dino Barbecue is a great idea. I've been to probably, I don't know, three or four of those, and we would get it on the road as our meal after games. Dinosaur Barbecue is really good. Um, I don't know if their brisket is quite up to Texas standards, but uh, they're known for their wings, which are incredible, pulled pork. I mean, all that stuff. Dino's good. Uh, St. Louis, my hometown. Pappy's. Pappy's ribs, my word. Wow, they're good. They're the best. They are. They're the best ribs. They're baby backs, which is funny because usually St. Louis is known for St. Louis style ribs and uh, they use baby backs. Uh, where else? Sugar Fire Barbecue in St. Louis is a cool place. They run all kinds of specials that are usually pretty funky. Uh, enjoy those. I've had burnt ends in KC at Gates Barbecue and really enjoyed them. And in Vegas, I think Rolling Smoke does a really nice job. Been there a couple times, picked up their brisket. Big fan of what they're doing out here on the west side of town over by Summerlin. So go visit Rolling Smoke if you're out here. Um, but I think St. Louis style barbecue is my favorite. It's usually a you know brown sugar based rub, so it's sweet. The barbecue sauce that usually has molasses in it and is pretty thick and uh, kind of sweet and smoky. And it's just my favorite. I love it. Uh, I think barbecue sauce is is appropriate on everything. I think on brisket though, you, you, it's a minimal amount. You got to let the meat talk for itself. Uh, pulled pork, you can kind of do whatever you want with that. It's Pulled pork is kind of a carrier for barbecue sauce for a lot of people, and I understand why, but I really like it too. Got nothing bad on that. So more questions. Let's get away from the barbecue stuff because I've already covered a lot of it. I had another question. I'm going to start smoking slow cooking meats for the first time. Any tips? I love brisket. I think we got most of those. Um, as long as you hit your temperature, you want to be, like I said, 250, 275. Uh, an important thing that I think for ribs or for brisket or anything you're going to put on, you need to dry brine it the night before. Put the rub on. Put the brine on, the salt, whatever else you're going to use. Put that piece of meat on a wire rack. Put it in the fridge and let it sit overnight. Let those, let those flavors melt. And then make sure you take it out about an hour before you're going to put it on the grill. You want to let it come up to room temperature a little bit so it takes away the time cooking and makes it a little bit more even cook. That's my experience at least. I am no pro. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who would disagree with me. And that's the fun of barbecue. You get to make it what you want. There's no wrong way to do it. Have fun with it. It's the most important thing. Question about how I felt when I played my first NHL game. You know, it was it was a pretty incredible moment because I hadn't signed my first NHL contract until like two days before. And it was my fourth year pro. And I'm midway through it and all of a sudden Tampa Bay is gonna call me up. And I thought, wow, like I'm 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 going to the national. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I flew to Tampa Bay where the Super Bowl was happening. I flew in over fireworks, uh, landed, get to the hotel, signed my contract, and then two days later in Long Island, 
Kari Ramos starts, allows three quick ones. I see Rick Tockett looking down at me. I'm sitting basically in the stands in Long Island, and he's motioning me to go in. I've never played a minute. I don't have any even preseason experience, and here I go. So I went in, went 11 for 11, and I remember coming off the ice and looking at my jersey when I took it off, and I just thought, wow, I did it. I played in the NHL. Like, there's only been like three people from my city that have ever done that where I grew up, you know? It was Cam Jansen knocked the door down for us, and then the Stastny brothers, Jan and Paul and Ben Bishop and Chris Butler and myself were all like in those first two years. I just couldn't believe it, and I just looked at it, and there was a huge amount of satisfaction to it. Um, I never thought I'd play in the NHL. I didn't know how I could do that. I didn't know how to reach it, college, major, junior. Those avenues were not something that were very clear to us. So just making it in the first place was unbelievable, and then I got to keep playing. And (laughs) the first start I get was against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and first shot I get, it's in the old igloo, by the way, I get Crosby on a two-on-one. And I make the save on it. Marc-Andre Fleury is at the other end, by the way. So my first NHL start was against Marc-Andre Fleury, who I now get to talk about on the air for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, which is super cool. Um, But we lost that game in overtime and then went to Tampa Bay and won my first game in the NHL. And it was a shutout. It was 1-0 against against the uh, New York Islanders, Jan Dani at the other end. And my dad was there, my mom was there, my girlfriend at the time, and the dog, and just came off the ice and my dad gave me a huge hug and it's hard to describe those feelings, you know, like truly living your dream. Think of your best dream. Think of your greatest goal, your greatest desire in life, achieving that, you know, um, short of winning a Stanley cup. I've got a lot of those moments and it's, it's pretty unbelievable to think about. It's something I never really expected. Uh, but it never, Never goes out of my mind just how special that is to be in that club, to have played in the NHL, to be one of something like, I don't know, 450 people to ever post a shutout in the NHL, which is, I mean, think about that. You've had billions upon billions of people walk this earth, and there's only been 450-something to ever have a shutout. I'm one of them. And I kind of have to remind myself that sometimes, that, hey, man, you were you were good, like, you know, marginally. Like, you were... <laughs> good enough to at least play in the league and post a shutout. And um, yeah, just really cool. Thanks for asking. Here's one asking if I have any good stories I can tell from my time in Springfield. Well, here's the, here's the part of my career. That's really interesting. I played in Springfield, Illinois and Springfield mass. And I played in Springfield mass for two different teams. My assumption is that you're talking about Springfield mass. Uh, It could be the Thunderbirds or it could be the Falcons. And oh yeah, I got some stories from there. I mean, we we won a burger battle playing in Springfield. I was designated as the chef for the Springfield Thunderbirds. The team thought that I was the right man for the job, so we crafted up two different concepts. We had a, a kind of a Mexican Asian mashup that was a chorizo patty with like dashi mushrooms and cilantro and poblano peppers. That was really delicious, but I didn't think it was ready for mainstream. Now the mainstream one that we did was something of a yeah, it was. It's kind of basically a glorified bacon cheeseburger, but it had this maple shallot date jam on it that was just banging, like super kind of tart, sweet, uh, hit a lot of different flavor profiles. And I thought, this is it. I think this is the winner. So when we we did our research, we had several players come over and we decided we're going to go with the bacon cheeseburger. We think it plays to the audience. And it was 
our team, well, me, against three other chefs in town, and they all produced their own burger. And, you know, I don't know if the voting was rigged or stacked, but we won. And the coolest part was that Brian McCabe was one of the directors of player development with the Florida Panthers at the time, and that was our affiliate. Well, Caber showed up and opened a tab for the boys, and it was like Tuesday or Wednesday night. So it's not like we were playing until Friday, and we just had so much fun that night. And I look back at that, I got traded like three days later or something or a week later. But that was a really cool moment. Um, Year-end party for the Springfield Falcons. I had two teammates uh, end up wrestling on the roof of my Mercury Mariner that I was driving at the time. I never had an NHL bonus. I never made a lot of money when I was younger, especially in the younger parts of my career. So don't get any uh, any false ideals, ideas that I was ripping around in a Rover or something. I drove a Mercury Mariner. Well, Daryl Boyce and Andrew Jodry decided that they were going to start wrestling, and they ended up on top of the Mariner, dented it, and I had to file a claim. Um, and I don't even know how we got it on the insurance, but we decided to split the tab three ways. Even though I didn't do anything <laughs> to injure my own car, I just kind of felt like it was the right thing to do. We were all in it as a team, and uh, that was funny and pretty entertaining because most of the people on the team were there for this year-end party, and all of a sudden here's <laughs> Jodry and the Sizzler. We called Daryl Boy Sizzler. They're on top of the Mariner, wrestling around. Pretty fun. Let's take uh, let's take a quick break here, and want to want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. All those sneakerheads out there, you got to go to eBay. They've got all the best stuff. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo stitching, dozens of other inspection points. You're going to get the real thing. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects the sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay's eliminated selling fees on any sneaker over $100. So it makes it free to sell or flip your collection. It's super easy to do. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And I got to tell you, I played with some sneaker heads in my day. You wouldn't believe what they'd roll into. When I was playing for the Ottawa Senators, I remember Thomas Shabbat rolled in in these moon boot Nikes. And these babies, I don't know how much they cost him. Uh, clearly way too much, but they had like tags on them and um, they were they were horrible looking, but they were really cool and fashionable, I'm sure. Um, and when you're young, you can do those type of things. <laughs> so let's go to another question. We've got a couple more to get to here. And um, this is a great one. Hannah Rosemary asked me, aside from actually playing, what do you miss most and least about your goalie career? I'll tell you what I miss least. I do not miss the anxiety of playing one bit. Not at all. Uh, the game rests on your shoulders as a goalie. And I think by the end of my career, I just had enough of that pressure. You know, I you thrive on it. The ultimate gratification is when you play well in front of people. But it's daunting. You know, you, you can look like an asshole in front of a lot of people. Like, that's pretty easy to do. Uh, and just trying to win the game for your team and be there and uh, the anxiety of it is just really hard and managing that throughout an entire season, trying to be on for seven, eight months if you play well and go deep in playoffs, is it's not easy. 
Um, but you know what was really cool was last season with the VGK, I had the opportunity to practice with the team occasionally. And whenever, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury would take a day off or uh, for rest, I'd get the call early in the morning from goalie coach Dave Pryor at the time. And so I'd go straight from the office to downstairs and I'd get my gear and I'd hop out on the ice. And then I'd, you know, afterwards I'd have to go do the media scrum, uh, like in my, in my, you know, hockey underwear <laughs> and try to change out of it really quickly. Um, but the coolest part of that was that, you know, I finished playing in, in April and then by September, here I am practicing with the team. Well, I was right out of the league. Like I'd played in the NHL the year before for the better part of the season. So they were getting a good goaltender, but I didn't have any pressure on me. That was the best part is I could just go out there and have fun. Like I could go out there and windmill and stack and do all sorts of wild stuff that I may not have done when I was taking things more seriously. And it was great, you know, and I had a lot of, I have a lot of teammates, former teammates that are on Vegas Golden Knights, um, had them last year, especially even more than this year. And it's just super, super cool. What I miss most, you know, that's changed over the years. Like when I was younger and even middle of my career, just the adrenaline rush of a big save. That's, you can't replicate that. Like, and hearing the crowd go. And like fans make the difference in pro sports. When you get that adulation from 20,000 people, even in the minors from 6,000 people in a full building, for them cheering for you, you can't describe that. And you can't replicate it. And it's so unique and special. It's not something that everybody gets to do. Um, so that, that was amazing. But as I got older, I think it really gravitated toward my daughters. And I, they'd be at the games early. I'd wave to them in warm-ups and come off and give them high fives. And, you know, when we'd win the game, I'd wave at them in the stands. And that really drove me, you know, being able to, to, <laughs> to look up there and, and see these two little girls that, rooting me on and yeah I, I get emotional thinking about it you know I really miss that but I also know that it wasn't going to last forever and just that they had the chance to do that and to know my history of being a professional hockey player and getting to enjoy it for even as short a time as they did really it meant a lot to me and I hope it means as much to them and they can tell those stories someday down the road and you know when I'm gone <laughs> someday show off my helmets and, and jerseys and the cool things or whatever they want to do with them. Um, but it really became about them later in my life, later in my career, and really cool. Here's another one about uh, equipment. Graham Emmett, what was it about Bauer equipment that made you so, lo so loyal to them? It's an interesting question, you know, because I didn't, I didn't flirt a whole lot with other companies. And for me, Bauer... They took care of me. They, you know, they would send me some demo sets on occasion to try things out or uh, different ideas and designs that they may have cooking up. But, you know, I was happy there and I had a great relationship with my goalie rep, Todd Brown. And I thought Todd was the reason why I stayed with him because he, he was, he's just an awesome dude. Like we would, we'd go have, have dinner and have a couple drinks together. And, uh, and that was always fun, but the moment we got to the rink, like he was so dialed in and so knowledgeable about the equipment. Nobody I felt knew more. I mean, if I if my finger was a half inch one direction and we needed to put a piece of foam there, he knew exactly what poly and thickness and like he could just go down the list of specs. It was like doing a custom car, but it was custom goalie equipment. And 
I just thought Todd was the best. And I, you know, I never negotiated with Bauer for anything. There's some goalies out there who will chase. They will chase money for, it, they'll chase 10, 15 grand for a stick company and you're in the NHL, but they'll still go for it. And did Bauer give me some kickbacks? Yeah, they did. I never negotiated for it. I never asked for it. Uh, it was something that they just did. And that goes a long way. When you don't request those things and somebody takes care of you uh, and appreciates you, right? Like I brought them visibility. And especially with my social media as I got older, like I brought them a lot of visibility and they rewarded me for it. And I'm super thankful that I had that relationship with Bauer and still do. I, I think that uh, Henry Breslin, who I work with there on occasion now, you know, like I needed a pair of pads for the Vegas Golden Knights and we designed a set and man, I look cool out there if I ever get back on the ice or even just doing some things for AT&T nightlife where I'll wear the equipment. It, it looks a lot better than just, you know, plain white gear. Like I kind of looked the part, which is nice. Here's one from uh, Newmiller. Oh, Edward Newmiller. How's it going? Did you like playing in Norfolk, Virginia? Oh, absolutely. I lived right behind Scotty Quicks, which if you've ever been to Norfolk, Virginia, I hope it's still there. But back in the day, that was a that was a pretty cool place. I got to tell you, the alley behind Scotty Quicks, you never know what, never ever knew what you were going to see. And we had a window that faced it. And sure enough, one night, this gal is throwing or not gal, it was the guy. This guy is throwing everything out the window. And it was his girlfriend's stuff, clothes. I mean, you, you name it. It was all going out like the third floor window. Cops show up and they're looking at it and, and they just let it go. <laughs> just put it in the dumpster and that was that. That was crazy. But Norfolk was awesome. I loved playing at the Scope. I loved the fans there. I wish I'd had more time. You know, I was called up for a month and a half with the Norfolk Admirals the first time when it was Chicago's affiliate. And man, some of the players on that team, we had Bufflin, Wisniewski, uh, Colin Frazier. I, I know Sean Thornton, Quentin Lang. I know I'm missing people, but that was a really good team. Corey Crawford was my goalie partner for a while. Uh, but I got a chance to come back with the Tampa Bay organization a couple years later, and I only spent you know, about two thirds of the year there, or half the season there, which was kind of a bummer because I really, really loved Norfolk. And I hope that hockey remains in Norfolk and can, can succeed there uh, again. I know it's been tough times, but that is a good hockey market. Hampton Roads, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, good hockey market with good fans and a super fun place to play. It's a shame it's out of the American League because every team absolutely loved to go there. A lot of fun to play. Uh, let's see. What's your favorite thing to cook? That's so hard. I love the barbecue, but I think a lot of the stuff that I really enjoy is some of the more difficult recipes, whether it's uh, kind of Asian leaning flavors or, or even just kind of rustic comfort Mexican food. Like those are the two things that I can never get enough of. You know, I, I love, I love Asian flavors. I love Vietnamese food, Thai, Japanese. I mean, I like all Asian food. Like, I just think that the the interaction of the spices and the, and the play on heat and sweet and sour, like Asian food is very complex. A lot of it, you know, if you get the right stuff, like not just like, you know, your regular takeout Americanized Chinese, we're talking the real stuff. It's just super delicious and clean and, and really interesting and comfort Mexican food, man. If you put a plate of mole in front of me with some chicken and chorizo on that thing and just some tortillas, maybe a little avocado. Oh, I am such a sucker for that. Like I can smash tortillas 
on their own. <laughs> I don't even need anything on them. So those those two things I think are probably probably my wheelhouse. Love to make pizza with my kids though. That's a lot of fun. They love and they call it uh, when we get the pizza out. We make the dough. We make the sauce. They want to decorate the pizza, not put the toppings on. They want to decorate the pizza, and they even have their own special. They like pepperoni, black olives, and mushrooms on theirs. That's their absolute favorite. Uh, for me, I like pepperoni, mushrooms, and banana peppers. Usually spicy ones. That's my take on it. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun to do. Like anything you can get your kids involved in, and they they really start to enjoy that. It, it's it's cool. You know, it kind of plants the seed for them to like food down the road. And my oldest daughter is going to be eight soon. Is starting to really really enjoy all kinds of flavors, not just simple things, not just chicken nuggets and mac and cheese or <laughs> simple stuff. You know, like uh, she's she's into it. She likes to try things, which is really cool. I got a fun question from Francis Boisvert, who happens to be a goaltender for the St. Lawrence University Skating Saints, which is my alma mater. Go Saints. Here we go, Saints. Canton, New York, the greatest college town. Well, greatest college town in New York, at least. But here's to Sergi's. Here's to pizza rolls and ranch dressing, uh, pub cookies, Appleton Arena, Lighthead Fieldhouse. Dana Dining, all those things. Francis Boisvert asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how's my style? Now, Fran- I know Francis a little bit. I got to tell you, this kid's fashionable. You know, he's got that kind of French intuition. He, he knows style. And, uh, like, Frankie, I, I, here's the thing. You haven't really shown me much of it, so I'm going to give you – I'm going to give you a six on what I've seen, but I'm going to be a nine on your knowledge because, folks, coming soon to you on the VGK broadcast, I've got some new suits coming. That's right. From Gaetano Brand in Las Vegas, Nevada, I've got suits. And guess who helped design one of them for me is Francis Boisvert. So thank you, Frankie. I think that brown suit's going to look great on television, and I've got you to thank for it. You are a fashionable young man, you have a bright future ahead of you, and you are a damn good goalie, and do not forget that. So folks, not many more questions to read off. Thankfully, that uh, seems like that was most of it for today, and you know, it's fun to do these. If it happens again, I'd like to see if people ask more questions about the National League. If you ask about current goaltenders or teams, I'm game to all that stuff. I keep up on the league. I've got a weekly hit with Scott Rintoul in Vancouver that you can listen to on. Uh, that's on every 9:30 Pacific time, um, which is a lot of fun to hit on. But it keeps me up to date on the entire league because you know what the VGK right now it's just the Honda West division. It's pretty focused. You know, we only have to worry about the teams out here, but you do have to keep your eye on everything. Um, so definitely trying to make sure I'm abreast of all that and super current and up to date. And I want to thank everybody. I know we didn't have a lot of questions today, but hopefully next time we get more of those. And if you enjoy Six Degrees, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast, this is there. If you're interested in advertising in Six Degrees, contact Believe at BLEAV.com. I am still doing goalie coaching with 44visionhockey.com. Go to that website, put my name in as your goalie coach. I'd love to work with you. We take clips from Hockey TV, Live Barn, upload those to a program called Instat where I'm able to break them down. I can put all kinds of little diagrams and descriptions on there. And the cool part was we have a Zoom meeting afterwards after I get it all broken down. And it's usually like an hour long and we go through all your clips from a game, from two games, however many you want to send in and do. 
and just break down your game from what I've seen. You know, like I've worked with pretty much every big name goalie coach out there. I've been really fortunate with that. I've coached my own goalie camps in the summertime. Uh, I really take a lot of pride in it. So if you want to do that, go to 44visionhockey.com. As I said, just put my name in that. And I'd love to work with you. So thanks to everybody for listening. I know this was a unique episode and there's more to come. Uh, and you can always find me at Mike McKenna 56 on all the socials. And thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.